Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Friday, November the 20th, 2020. On this edition of The Politocrat, a look at bullying in the United Kingdom in politics, specifically what we've been observing lately in the Conservative Party in England. Most recently, the allegations against Priti Patel and a report that came out today in the UK that found that she violated the Ministerial Code of Conduct. That and a few more observations coming up next. Welcome back. So it's been a wild time, of course, here in the United States, as we have seen over the last few days, what is going on. It's completely chaotic. We see that and we will get through this. Um, I think that the corporate news media, again, is failing in its coverage of what is happening here. And I'm talking, of course, about post-election, what Donald Trump and the Republican Party are doing. I do think that while there are people on some of these networks like CNN who are, and also MSNBC, who are genuinely um, using the words anti-democratic and using the words coup, um, which I did hear on one of those two networks yesterday, um, last night, they are not looking, again, beyond what is in front of them. The long game is the examination of the future and if this is happening now, what might happen or might succeed in happening down the road from now. And that's not something that the corporate news media is very good at doing, or at least they're not very good at doing it when it really counts. They do these things when they want to, when they are relatively trivial things, they will they will get into that. But when, obviously, things are more important, particularly when it comes to issues and, and, and things like that, that won't happen, typically. But I just wanted to start with that on this Friday. I hope you are well. Thank you very much for uh, lending your ear. Uh, it's truly appreciated. And uh, I'm really thankful um, uh, for you, for listening, for considering, uh, and for thinking along with me about these things. Because, I mean, um, it's important to activate a critical thought. Critical thinking is so important. And if we do that all together, um, it just makes us all better. It makes you better, makes me better, makes anybody better who engages in critical thinking. And it's so important to do that, especially now. All of the gaslighting, all of the uh, the lies and the propagandizing 
that is happening now is incredibly toxic and damaging and dangerous. I think we all can agree on that. So I just wanted to start with with that. Um, this is going to go the way of Joe Biden and democracy or whatever is left of that for some of us is going to prevail here. Lots of reasons why. One of them is, is that this election was not close. Another reason is, is that we are seeing some institutional pushback. Um, and also another reason is because you and many other people in the world here, in the United States at least, in the very, you know, many others in the country, I should say, are not having this. People are pushing back and not just on social media. People in Wayne County, we saw what happened um, there a couple of days ago now, and we saw very clearly, um, two or three days ago it happened now, and we saw very clearly people in the public meeting that they had speaking out, and people making phone calls, people doing all kinds of things. Um, and those two white Republican officials um, were forced to turn their vote around and vote accordingly when you know, there's no earthly reason why they shouldn't have in the first place. And I know that since they've tried to have that revote overturned, and of course that's not going to succeed. But again, what the news media here should be talking about, and I'm going to get to bullying and about um, what's going on in the UK in a few moments, but what the corporate news media here in the United States should be talking about is the future that Donald Trump, sure, he's going to fail here. The institutions will hold because people are backing them, as Timothy Snyder urged us to do in his book on tyranny. To pick an institution and back it and support it. Now, obviously, all of these institutions are far from where I want them to be, far from where you want them to be. But I think the first step is to, particularly in the light of this fascistic, authoritarian, dictatorial attack on voting, the first step is to protect that institution, as I've said before, by doing more of it, right? By having more people vote. That's how you protect that institution. And because more people voted this time, as I had been advising and saying for months here, Democracy did win out, you know, because the change in the White House is going to come. And of course, then we have the responsibility to continue to make sure that that change continues beyond January 20th. And that we don't all turn around and go home and go to sleep and say, we'll just um, come back in four years time and, and keep our eye on you, Mr. President Joe Biden. No, that's not what this is going to be about. But I do think it's really important here to examine the future. What if there is a time in the future where the vote turnout is lower? What if there is a time in the future where the vote turnout is lower, but the Democrats still manage to win and win by only, say, a million votes this next time around? Two million votes. 
And then some future Republican candidate decides, no, you know, I'm going to challenge this. And if you've still got Republican legislators and legislatures in the majority in a lot of these key states, as you do in Michigan and in Pennsylvania and in Wisconsin, all have Republican legislatures who control the legislature. And what if this happens in four years, in eight years, in 12 years, and then some Republican candidate and it's not going to be Trump because I don't think he's running in 2024. What if somebody decides to do this again, but do it more subtly, more sophisticated, and more precise, and more seriously? This is a clown show that you've been seeing here the last um, few days and weeks by the Republican Party, Rudy Giuliani, Donald Trump and Sidney Powell and everybody else. And yes, it's clownish. It's reality TV gone very, very bad. Although that may be a very re redundant term, set of terms there for some. But this is something that is going to be tried again. And what I think has happened is I think I may have alluded to here before is a softening of not only the democratic process in terms of voting and, and what happens post-vote, but it's also a softening of the American mind. It is a softening of the American heart. It is a softening of the psychology of the American public. And this telegraphed idea blatantly or subtly that voting is for the birds that voting doesn't really count and by the way it does count voting counts we've seen that very conclusively as Georgia finished its hand recount yesterday and it was certified by the Secretary of State and then it will have to be certified I believe sometime today by um well, actually, no, it's certified by the Secretary of State, I think, um, today. Brad Raffensperger. And I think that by Monday, the governor of the state of Georgia, Brian Kemp, who, of course, no stranger to stealing elections, um, himself will have to certify. So, you know, this we'll see how that all plays out. But my whole point of doing this, and, and for those who are... Um, listening, expecting the topic to be bullying, it's going to be. I'm just, I just need to get through this because I think this is really important for people in the US. This will be tried again by the Republicans. We've already seen how criminal this so-called party, it's not even a party anymore. It is a gang of thugs We've seen this over 60 years, what this party is and what it has been and what its whole id is. And they're not even a political party. We've seen Nixon steal the office in 1968, the infamous, um, the memorable phone call, I should say, not infamous, but the memorable phone call 
um, conversation between LBJ and the Republican Senate leader, I guess he was then, Everett Dirksen. We've seen that, right? We've heard that. You may have heard it. Um, if you haven't, I'll try to get a clip of it for you before this podcast is is done for the day. But um, yeah, the, the, we've seen this in 68 with Nixon. We saw Nixon and his cronies with the Watergate break-in shortly thereafter, not too many years after that. Um, um, we've seen this with Reagan, how he did the same thing. You know, look, the treason with Nixon was he as an unelected person running for president, convincing the, uh, I guess, the South Vietnamese to to walk away from the peace talks table in Paris. And by telling them, look, I've got a better deal for you. If if you just wait for a few more um, weeks, I promise you that I will, if I'm elected, I will um, give you the best possible deal, a lot better than what is being offered to you now at the table there in Paris. And they literally did walk away at an unelected an unelected person, a general member of the public. Now he's a definitely a public person, but he's a you know he's a public official. But he's he was not elected to anything, so he therefore does not have the province to do what he did. And as a private citizen, he was able to get a government to walk away to walk away from the peace talks. That's really serious. Scuttling the Johnson administration, scuttling the peace talks, and prolonging the Vietnam War. I mean, that's in and of itself a war crime. I mean, I mean, I call that a that's a functional war crime. You have the ability to just get out of the way and stay out of the way and let the peace talks come to some kind of fruitful conclusion to end this war in Vietnam and you say, no, don't engage in those peace talks. Walk away from them because I've got something better. We've got an election here coming up. And lo lo and behold, you know, they bend to the will of Nixon. It's just really disturbing stuff. And so I'm going to just play you this phone call just this little portion of it so that you get a refresher course here is Everett Dirksen the uh, Republican Senate leader at the time in 1968 October of that year literally a few days before the election of 1968 which Nixon by the way won very narrowly over Hubert Humphrey it was a very very close election Speaking of elections, and the other voice you will hear, the unmistakable voice of LBJ. There's been speeches that we ought to withdraw troops. Yeah. That was Humphrey and uh, uh, Bundy. Yeah. Or that we stop bombing without any obtaining anything in return. Yeah. Or some of our folks, including some of the old China lobby, are going to the Vietnamese embassy 
and saying, please notify the president that if he'll hold out till November the 2nd, they could get a better deal. Uh-huh. Now, I'm reading their hand, Everett. I don't want to get this in the campaign. That's right. And they oughtn't to be doing this. This is treason. I know. So there you go. Treason. I know. I mean... And this is what we're seeing. Reagan did this in 1980 with uh, um, undercutting Jimmy Carter. Reagan, who was not elected, who, you know, was an American citizen, private citizen. Sure, he was running for the office of president, but he wasn't a government official with any authority. And he, you know, says to the Iranians, look, um, hold off on releasing the hostages and I'm going to give you a lot more if you hold off. You will get more of a deal from me than from Carter. Just wait until after this election. I am confident. And they did. They held off on releasing the hostages. And then you had the arms for hostages scandal, right? Iran-Contra. I mean, and the hostages, the, the, the release of Americans was literally delayed. So the American, the American citizenry, some of the individuals were held hostages, right? These were people held hostage by Iran and the American who is not even in the White House for sure at this point is telling the Iranians, the, at the enemy Iranians to hold off. On, so you've got someone who's not even an elected official in America, telling a foreign government, an enemy government to the United States, do not release Americans. Hold off on releasing these hostages of ours. I know that they're Americans, but don't release them yet. Because I'm coming in on my white horse or my black horse, and I am going to give you something better. More arms. And that's exactly what happened. This has happened before. This has happened before is my point. And we saw what happened in the year 2000 with George W. Bush and how that succeeded. That was a coup, right? That was a coup. Al Gore just played it the wrong way in terms of fighting back against it. He played it wrong. He wanted only one county recounted. And if he had ordered a count for the entire state. That would have been the end of that. And we would have had President Gore. And we probably would have had two terms of President Gore. And maybe not had the Iraq war. The Iraq invasion. Possible. I mean, think about all of these things. Think about all of this. That was a coup in 2000 for sure. And the Supreme Court were part of it, right? The U.S. Supreme Court told the state of Florida to stop counting votes. That was what the U.S. Supreme Court did. A majority Republican court with friends of W's daddy on that court, like William Rehnquist, 
who said in a Supreme Court decision called Bush v. Gore that the state of Florida must discontinue its count of the votes in these counties. And they mentioned the counties. I think one was Volusia, one was Palm Beach, and one was, I don't know, Miami-Dade. There's a, there's a documentary, by the way, called 537 Votes, 537 Votes, which is the margin of victory, right, that was promulgated by George W., I guess, I, I don't know, by Al Gore or whatever. I mean, put it this way. There were so many recounts and studies done after this whole thing. Up to a year later, and it, it came out a year later that Al Gore would have won the state of Florida no matter how many different ways you sliced it, no matter how many studies you did or recounts you did, whether it was statewide or whether it was counties wide, it would have absolutely all turned out with Al Gore. So there's, there's, there's been a pattern of this. Supreme Court overriding the will of the people and overriding states' rights, overriding the 10th Amendment, reserved powers to the states. And now you have, in 2020, Donald Trump and the Republicans saying, we want recounts. We want you to stop counting. So the U.S. Supreme Court in 2000 told the state of Florida to stop counting. And in 2020, Donald Trump was telling different states to stop counting the votes of people who voted and voted properly in accordance with all the laws and rules of the states that they voted in. State by state, there are rules and voters vote in the state they reside in in accordance with those rules. This is all about trying to overthrow the will of the people and overthrow governments that are duly elected. And Donald Trump is trying to do that before that duly elected government gets sworn in. Now that is the angle that the corporate news media here in the United States should be looking at this from. Here we are, and welcome back. Overkill from Men at Work, the opening part of that song. And yeah, you know, it, this has been overkill. This whole year has been overkill. Uh, I mean, I think there's, <laughs> I think it's safe to say that. Um, but what's also overkill right now is this very toxic culture, this very toxic masculine culture. And I can say I've contributed to that with some of the stuff that I tweet on Twitter. I definitely will put my hand up and say that. Um, some of the more uh, vitriolic things, um, you know, I need to reduce that kind of 
uh, response because that's not helpful either. Um, there are things, of course, that um, one feels strongly about, but also there's got to be, I think, um, a way to try to police that a little better. And I think I can do that. Um, but I, I, I know that the first step toward admitting that you have a, a an issue or a problem is to verbalize it and admit it and acknowledge it and then try to do something about it, which is the most important. Well, that is the second part of, the, of that. Um, I'm not going to sit here and talk about bullying and then not look at my own um, role in that because, look, let's be honest with ourselves. If you're tweeting something, um, especially if you're tweeting it to someone, um, what you say in that tweet could certainly be a form of bullying, depending on what the content is, right? I mean, that's a real thing. So I do want to start by actually pointing the finger at myself here. Um, because what would the point of a conversation like this be if we're not also examining ourselves? Now, I'm not someone who has political power, Um the way that Pretty Patel does, obviously, or the way that any of these officials that I'm going to be talking about in a few moments do. But on social media, if you have an audience, if you have any kind of audience, um, it's not power, but it's an audience. And if you are berating someone on Twitter, and I don't know that I've... I have definitely taken people to task particularly and mostly um, the powerful. <laughs> and also people in the news media who do have a large audience. And I've gone after them. And when I say gone after them, with, criti- with, with, um, with comments, nothing, nothing that's, n- well, it, it's so subjective. Um, but then there are things that are not. So for me, um, if I'm, if I'm cursing at somebody, which I do do on Twitter a lot, um, you know, you could look at that as a form of bullying, couldn't you? Does it have to be more than one incident? I don't necessarily think it does. Now, workplaces may may say otherwise, right? I don't know. That's another larger discussion. If you use social media, do you... Have you had an, an incident where you've cursed out somebody? And have you done so more than once to the same person or to different people? Or have you done that? I mean, look, we've all drop the F-bomb on Twitter or on Facebook or on whatever social media platform you use. Uh, Maybe we all haven't. Maybe there are people who haven't ever done that. But I think the vast majority of people have used a curse word, if not the F-word, then certainly some other variant um, of cursing, swearing, online. 
I'm not saying that it's okay, but everybody has done it. And I do believe, by the way, that people who curse tend to be more honest. <laughs> That's not always true. But I do think that there is some truth to it. Because you say what's on your mind and what's on your heart and you punctuate it. And you're disgust with what that might be. And by the way, when someone says WTF, we know what that means, but that's not the same as actually writing out the word F-U-C-K, right? We, I mean, that is the PG version. WTF is the PG version of F-U-C-K. And bullying is a serious thing online, by the way. I mean, I, I don't want to... I don't want to divorce the conversation about the UK politicians I'm about to talk about from the other stuff that, that I've just mentioned. Because online bullying takes the lives of people every year in the hundreds. I mean, I mean, it does take a lot of people's lives. I think it's, I mean, I mean, I'm talking around the world and I don't know the exact figure. But there have been people who's, who have taken their own lives because of this. And I believe it is in the hundreds, globally, every year. I mean, there's so many stories of this. Someone jumping off a bridge in New Jersey and ending his life because he got all of this um, anti-gay abuse. It was vicious. And the guy was only a teenager. I mean, this is just horrible. This is a horrible way for us to live, right? To be living in a, a world. And, and again, the other thing ultimately about all of this is that the social media companies and the people running them, the white men running them, who are under the age of 50, who are billionaires on paper or in reality, but mostly on paper, and are doing such dangerous, toxic things, Mark Zuckerberg. And who are meeting with Trump in the White House, Mark Zuckerberg. And then showing up at congressional hearings like Zuckerberg did this week. And putting on this very bland, you know, kindly face. Oh, we're just implementing our strategy to do blah, blah, blah. And is not doing anything about dealing with bullying. Not nearly enough. And the toxic masculinity that fl is flying around here like gnats on crap. And it's an outgrowth of the larger patriarchal society that we are swimming in. And the world that we're swimming in. The social media companies have a huge responsibility about this. Whether it's Jack at Twitter, whether it's Mark Zuckerberg, whether it's anybody else. Zuckerberg owns at least three social media platforms. WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook. Does he own YouTube yet? I mean, that's coming, isn't it? I mean, this guy is, this guy is the new Jeff Bezos, except even more toxic than he. Amazon is another example of bullying, but a different context but still harmful. As we know, human rights violations are more than just harmful. 
I, I'm just really trying to bring an overall context to this because I don't want to place this in a vacuum, right? There are all these different things going on. You know, and it, it bridges the gap somewhat between our own individual culpability to those of us that this applies to. I can certainly, I will certainly raise my hand, put up my hand and say, yeah, you know, I've got to, I've got to be better about, about that on Twitter. Definitely. I, I definitely know it. Um, and I know it's unattractive. It's not good. It's not healthy. I think it is healthy sometimes to get steam off um, because it's, because I think that is a good thing. But I don't think that um, doing this on a repeated basis um, is good, is healthy. Um, I just think it's a question of moderation of it rather than proliferation. And that's the key. I don't think that you can realistically ask anybody on Twitter to stop using the word beginning with F and ending in K. That's unrealistic, right? So then there's other things that need to be done. Uh, how, how, is, how, how do we bridge that? That's a conversation that I would love to have again um, with you and certainly with a guest or two down the road here. Because ultimately we all have a responsibility, particularly these social media companies that don't do the right thing at all. I mean, there's so many stylistic changes on Twitter. So many, but no edit buttons. You know, none of that. It's just crazy. It's just really crazy. Not sufficient protections for um, targeted groups, particularly women who are the most targeted on Twitter, particularly black women who are the most targeted on Twitter, without a doubt. We've seen black female members of parliament in the UK, like Diane Abbott, always, always getting the most abuse on Twitter in terms of the MPs. Of any MP in the United Kingdom, she is the most abused MP on Twitter. Misogynoir, misogyny, racism. In her Twitter account all the time in her timeline. And that isn't just applicable to Diane Abbott, who is a, a member of the parliament in the Labour Party in the UK. But this is applicable to any black woman anywhere, whether they are prominent or not. You know. And where's the protections for them? Where are they? You know, again, you've got to look at the whole frame here. There are these rich white men who are controlling and patrolling with, the, with their platforms and they have no intention of doing anything to stop this rot, to arrest this toxic masculinity on their platforms and to offer protections or tools, I should say. Where are the tools that you are giving black women and any other woman? to defend herself. Where are the tools that you're giving to members of the LGBTQIA community so that they can actually um, act affirmatively? It's not that we want you to protect someone, and I said the word protect earlier because that word seems so paternalistic to me. It's more about what tools are you giving people who are typically attacked, not just online, but offline, to 
arm themselves with, for lack of a better word, so that they can exercise more control and power in the way they communicate and how they communicate and whom they choose to allow to read their communications and respond to them. And I know there's some modifications that Twitter has done recently about about some of that, but it's not nearly enough. And you're doing it piecemeal, mate. That's not good enough either. It really is not good enough. There has to be some oversight of these companies. Uh, You know, that's just the bottom line here, folks. There just has to be oversight. And I know they're private companies. I know that. But shouldn't the FCC have some kind of oversight? Don't the FCC, the Federal uh, Communications Commission, don't they have some kind of oversight on social media platforms? I guess not because these platforms are not broadcast platforms. If this was CBS News or... uh, you know, some other broadcast network. Think of one here in the United States, whether it's NBC, you know, uh, you know, ABC. The FCC would have um, a lot more control and power. But the FCC, apparently, and then someone can correct me, doesn't have power to really do a whole heck of a lot with Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or, you know, any of these other platforms but I think something should be done I really do think so because obviously these folks are not going to regulate themselves right Mark Zuckerberg is not going to do that he's gonna I don't care how many you know house or senate hearings he attends remotely or or in person he's going to just spout the same company line and you know and yeah we're doing this And it's not my responsibility to determine what free speech should be curtailed and what shouldn't be. Yeah, right. I mean, this is the guy that allowed Steve Bannon to actually talk about beheading public officials on a video on Facebook. And no, no, Steve Bannon, you're okay, mate. Right on, Steve. You're all right, mate. I'm telling you, this is just absolutely mental. And if I drop my shoe on the table like Khrushchev or slam my shoe on a table like Nikita Khrushchev did back in the 1960s at the UN, United Nations, I'd get suspended from these platforms, mate. So would you. Elton John Nikita. And we are back here on the Politicat Podcast. I am back. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Really appreciate you uh, for your time. Uh, means a lot to me that you listen. It really does. I do finally now want to get to 
the United Kingdom and politicians there who are doing what has been done for so long in this toxic culture, bullying. There is a responsibility that people in power have. I just spent about 15 minutes there talking about the kinds of things that we need to do to check ourselves on social media, the kinds of things I know I can, I have to do and must do to check myself and be a bit better uh, or improve dramatically, I should say. Um, you can go and read my tweets at the popcorn R-E-E-L, and be the judge yourself whether you think that um, I am engaging in bullying. Uh, and I honestly would like to hear from you um, one way or the other. Um, maybe I should put up a poll. On, on Seriously, I maybe should. Do you think that the tweet... I mean, this sounds... I know it sounds very narcissistic, right? For me to say this, but um, maybe I should put up a poll and, and say, do you think that my tweets are bullying? I, and I And of course, I'll probably get some people who will say, yeah. You know, some anonymous person will say yes. And maybe, and maybe they're right. Maybe they are bullying. I don't personally think that my tweets are bullying, but maybe I'm not the best and most reliable uh, or most obje uh, objective source, I should say. <laughs> um, I may not be the most reliable narrator on the verdict around that. Uh, it's all subjective in that case, right? Um, but there are some things that are not subjective. And one of them is what's been going on with the Conservative Party recently. Not just recently, but for a number of years. Here in the U.S., we have bullies, and we've had them in politics for a long time, and most of them have been in one party, the Republican Party. But this is not a party issue. We know that Donald Trump is part of this bullying, um, and he personifies it most toxically and dangerously. But this isn't really about parties, even though I'm focusing on the uh, conservative party in the U.K., this is about the issue of bullying. This is about the issue of the culture that we're living in and the culture that, and the system that is the bully. I mean, the system is the bully. And you've got people who are components of that system. And one of them is Priti Patel. She is the home secretary of uh, the Tory government at number 10 Downing Street, which is headed by the Prime Minister Boris Johnson. And Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, is, I would say, the equivalent here in the U.S. of Bill Barr. That's probably as close and as... As close as it can be in terms of an equivalent office. The Justice Department here in the U.S. run by Bill Barr, who's run it into the ground, by the way. And thank God he won't be the Attorney General for very much longer in this country because he's destroyed that office. And it's not the first time he's been in that office. People forget that back in the 1990s or in the 1980s, I should say, he was the attorney general for Poppy Bush. I mean, people have such short memories and Donald Trump brought him back for roadshow number two. And sure enough, he has damaged that office. He's a bully too. 
And in the UK, there's Preeti Patel. Now, Preeti Patel had already been fired. She'd already been fired from a cabinet position by the prior prime minister, Theresa May. One of the few things that Theresa May got right was to force the resignation, because that's what it was. It was, if you don't resign, we're going to sack you. And that's how these things usually go, no matter where you are in the world. A politician rarely, I mean, sometimes, but rarely resigns on their own volition. I mean, there are exceptions to that. But behind the scenes, the conversation is had and the letter is already written, pretty much. There's a negotiation over how the letter is to look. Edits here, consultation there. It gets approved and looked at by the prime minister's office by the Home Secretary's office, their aides confer, they fact check it, or rather they proofread it, and they all have a final read. I mean, I know I'm sounding like this is, but believe me, it's not far off from what really happens. And then boom, they okay it and they release it. That happened in 2017 when Priti Patel, who was then in the cabinet of Theresa May had on her vacation, on her holiday, Priti Patel on her personal holiday. This is not a holiday in conjunction with the Tory government that she was part of. This was on her own personal time. Decided to have not one, but at least 17 meetings and interactions with the government of Israel and the prime minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu or at least with Israeli officials of his government during her private personal vacation, having these meetings, and by the way, did not tell. Well, she did tell Theresa May, but she lied to Theresa May. And so Theresa May found out later on through reporting and other means from the press and other means that, oh, dearie me, no, Theresa May had a lot of meetings and they were in-depth and they were with senior and high-ranking Israeli officials, including and up to the Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu. And, oh, dear, oopsie-daisy, there was a invitation for Pretty Patel to fly back to to number ten, and I remember because I was tracking the blooming plane. I was one, there was someone on Twitter who put who I think it was, I don't know if it was the flight aware. You know though, there's a million of these things, right? These tracking things where you can now track a flight anywhere in the world. So if your loved one, your spouse or your your son or daughter or whomever is flying here, there or anywhere or everywhere uh, in this COVID era, I don't know if that's going to be happening too much. But if you if you're following someone who's coming to see you or you're again, you've got 
your spouse is flying somewhere and you want to just make sure they get there safely and there's and you just want to follow the flight. You can do that now, right? Any anywhere. And there, there's a lot of these programs, Flight Aware, all of these things. The point is, is that someone on Twitter put a link up there for Pretty Patel's flight. Where in the world is Pretty Patel? And literally, people were, mo- including yours truly, because I had nothing better to do, or it was a slow work day that day. <laughs> I literally sat there for 10 minutes. Not 10 continuous minutes. I'm not that bad. <laughs> but I literally sat there for a net of 10 minutes net and followed the path of, of this flight that she was on, the plane that she was actually on. Needless to say, in those 10 net minutes, she didn't really get very far. That flight did not get very far. And lest I be accused of stalking, I then turned my attention back to my work. <laughs> but, oh dear me, and stalking is a very serious thing. Um, so I, I'm not trying to... Uh, joke about any of that because it's not funny the bottom line is is that Pretty Patel returned back I think to Heathrow Airport um, had meetings with the Prime Minister at the time Theresa May Theresa May um, obviously said to her either you go or we're going to let you go we're going to sack you and that's what happened she made a big statement somewhere whatever um, Pretty Patel did and promptly walked, walked in disgrace away. She didn't get expelled from the party or anything. She didn't have the whip removed from her. You know, Theresa May did not remove the whip from Pretty Patel. And quite frankly, that is an offense that should get you expelled from the party. And you should have the whip removed. I mean, you you just should. But that did not happen. I think she, she quit. She kind of uh, went into hiding, basically, was not seen nor heard from for a little bit. Then she resurfaced in Boris Johnson's government. How about that? Home Secretary. Basically, the top cop there in the UK um, is in charge of all of these things regarding crime, policing, um, criminal justice system, that kind of thing. Now, the bottom line is, is that there was a report that had come out or at least leaked out where there were allegations of bullying and findings at least that there was um, a breaching a breaking of the ministerial code now that's a serious thing in the united kingdom if you break the ministerial code you should and could be expelled from your party the political party you're in i mean that's serious and certainly you could end up uh, certainly being suspended from the party at the very minimum. And if you are a cabinet, uh, cabinet if you are ca- a cabinet level politician, you would be summarily fired. That is the kind of thing that should, and I say that word should, get you summarily, which is the same as must, get you summarily fired. Should is mandatory. That's That is a directive. That is a I am, that is a command, should, you should do this. 
you shall do this. That is mandatory. It's not might, it's not may, it's not could. It should. And the ministerial code is is not some small thing here. The ministerial code is something that you're supposed to abide by. And that code says ministers should be professional in their working relationships with the civil service and treat all those with whom they come into contact with consideration and respect. That's a direct quote. And it's quoted in a two-page report from the independent advisor, Sir Alex Allen. And he was asked by Prime Minister Boris Johnson to supply, provide advice about the facts that were established in the Cabinet Office, which had put out this, um, you know, this finding about the ministerial code. And Sir Alex Allen was the independent advisor that Boris Johnson called upon. Offer your opinion, Sir Allen, about whether or not the Cabinet Office got this right about Pretty Patel's conduct. I mean, there were multiple complaints about Pretty Patel's conduct as Home Secretary. She has, you can go on YouTube, you can go on anywhere and do a quick search online, and you can see, by the way, some of the things that she has said publicly while as Home Secretary or before she was Home Secretary, but still a member of Parliament, that shows you the kind of, what do you call it, you know? Just, you know, the death penalty stuff that she talked about calling for and um, just a shocking clip, by the way. On uh, online somewhere, and it's on Twitter. I, I think I've retweeted it or replied to it at the popcorn R E E L that shows you Pretty Patel saying some stuff that's just, and you can totally picture her bullying somebody. I mean, there have been complaints that have been public about her behavior, and Sir Alan says. In his two-page report, it's really a page and a bit. It's really um, very, very, it's a one page and one paragraph. I mean, he says, and he even before he, before he gets to it, he says, the evidence is, is that this has manifested itself in, and he's talking about the secretary, Home Secretary Priti Patel, has manifested itself in forceful expression, including some occasions of shouting and swearing. This may not be done intentionally to cause upset, but that has been the effect on some individuals. Now, look, um, it doesn't matter whether this is just a note on that from Sir Alan, Sir Alex Allen. Sir Alex, give me some advice says Boris Johnson. And this is the advice that Sir Alex is giving him. And by the way, it doesn't matter whether this is intentional or not. Bullying is bullying, right? I mean, intent or not intent is irrelevant here. This is about a government official who has impulse and self-control issues when it comes to interacting with civil servants who are absolutely entitled to the respect 
that the position merits and that they as human beings merit regardless of position. And this is about a very powerful person, the Home Secretary, the number three office in the, I think that's the number three office in the country, in the UK. I think the Chancellor, the first is the Prime Minister, the second is the Chancellor, and I think the third is Home Secretary. Or it could be Secretary of State, Dominic Raab, I don't know. I think it's Home Secretary third and then Secretary of State. You could flip those two around, either third and fourth interchangeable, I forget which. I think Home Secretary is third after the Chancellor. So for sake of this, the third most powerful person in the United Kingdom, certainly the third most powerful person in England, and certainly the third most powerful person in the UK, period. And she's bullying people. That's been documented, by the way. It has been documented. And somebody actually fainted, collapsed, this year or last year, from Pretty Patel bullying them. A man in the in in uh, civil service collapsed after her bullying of him. Collapsed, not making that up. I'll put a link to that story, by the way. Uh, it's just incredible, and there's been complaint after complaint after complaint, and so Alex is telling you, yeah, you know, well, you know, this, you know, this is, uh, you know, maybe there's some. Maybe it's not intentional, but I mean, it is intentional, but who cares? It's about the action, right? So he's t- he's being very careful here, Sir Alex, in this report, which I will also link to. And it says here, the bottom line here, quote, my advice is that the Home Secretary, that's Priti Patel, has not consistently met the high standards required by the ministerial code of treating her civil servants with consideration and respect. Her approach on occasions has amounted to behavior that can be described as bullying in terms of the impact felt by individuals. To that extent, her behavior has been in breach of the ministerial code, even if unintentionally. This conclusion needs to be seen in context. There is no evidence that she was aware of the impact of her behavior and no feedback was given to her at the time. Now, there's some other stuff he says after that, but the point is, he's saying it very clearly. She has violated, this is an independent person now, independent of the cabinet office, independent person, Sir Alex Allen. He's the independent advisor that Boris Johnson called on to give him advice. Give me advice, Sir Alex. And that's his advice. She violated the ministerial code, and that is absolutely a problem. But you know what Boris Johnson did? He backed Pretty Patel. He backed, not sacked. And because he backed, not sacked, Pretty Patel, the independent minister, upon hearing that Boris Johnson actually said or, or, or issued a statement saying, I find that... Pretty Patel did not violate the ministerial code, even though two other agencies, one of them independent, had said that she did. He turns around and says, well, I find that she did not. I mean, <laughs> didn't you want the advice of the independent advisor? Or are you just doing this for show, man? Come on. 
So you get an independent advisor. So Alex, give me the advice, man. And he gives you the advice. And then you say, even after the independent advisor, so Alex issues a statement of, well, we find, I find that she violated the ministerial code. You turn around and say, I find that she did not violate the ministerial code. She's staying. And that's exactly what she's done. And Sir Alex Allen, your independent advisor, says after that, quote, I recognize it is for the prime minister to make a judgment on whether actions by a minister amount to a breach of the ministerial code. But I feel that it is right I should, should now resign from my position as the prime minister's independent advisor on the code. <laughs> it's just, oh, dearie me. More to say about this and others in the realm of power who bully the powerless like Preeti Patel has done. Right after this. Welcome back. Dead right, folks. It's time to form a square around the Pritzker. That is from Boris Johnson's WhatsApp. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not joking. That is from Boris Johnson's WhatsApp. Dead right, folks. Time to form a square around the Pritzker. P-R-I-T-T-S-T-E-R. That is the name that the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson gives to the Home Secretary Priti Patel. And this was reported by numerous newspapers. I mean, that was a whoops. That was a, excuse me, that was a what, WhatsApp communication by Boris Johnson to Tory MPs. Let's protect the bullier. Let's protect the bully. Let's fortify her. Let's protect her. Well, that, that's what. I mean, that uncovers arrogance, doesn't it? That's, that's arrogant, right? I mean, you, you don't. You don't do something like that. You go along this course of rebuking, basically rebuking the independent advisor without actually using the words. Uh, and you do that by saying, well, I don't find that she violated the ministerial code. Then why on earth are you getting the independent advisor in the first place? This is not process, it's for show. When you do that with the full intention that you are going to make sure that your home secretary or the home secretary of the country is not your home secretary, she's un serving under you, yeah, but she serves the country, mate. You're going to make it very clear that she's going to have this job, whatever the independent person says. And then why invite the independent person to come in just to present this illusion of process? 
of due process, of any process. But you trample on it when you say, well, I find that she did not breach the ministerial... I mean, it's so deadly arrogant. I mean, it's arrogant stuff, but that's what power is. It is arrogant and dangerous when it's wielded in this irresponsible way. And it also, by the way, underlines the fact that Boris Johnson is not a leader. Just like the one we've got over here, the so-called leader. He's not a leader either. Thank God it's just 61 more days of this garbage that we've got to go through. So it's still 61 blooming days, though. That's a, that's a long time when you're trying to slog through the swamp of, of Donald Trump and the Republican Party. Now we've got to focus on that Georgia Senate race, both of them. We have got to be all in to phone bank this weekend for John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. Operation Georgia Blue has to continue and it is continuing. So let's make that real this weekend. You can go to their web pages, elect John, that's electjon.com and also warnock4georgia.com. I'll put the links up on that as well. But Boris Johnson is showing you his arrogance. He never wanted to be anything but prime minister and he didn't even want to really wield the power necessary. It was, I'm sitting on the throne at number 10, which is not a throne, but he would like to make it one. And he surrounds himself with all of these toxic people, these bullies, and doesn't do anything, doesn't fire them. That's not leadership. Doesn't sack them. Doesn't force them to resign like Theresa May did. I mean, Theresa May, whatever people might have said about Theresa May as prime minister. When it came to having a conversation with someone who did something wrong, at least in some cases, she would at least attend the conversation. And she obviously did that with Pretty Patel. Now, I, are people going to tell me that, that there's a gender thing going on there? That one woman fired another woman. I mean, I'm introducing that, right? But I don't think that that's the case. Uh, yes, obviously in this case, a male prime minister did not f sack a female cabinet member. But in the other instance, two, three years ago, 2017, I think it was around November, around this time of year, November of 2017, it, it, there was a female prime minister named Theresa May, and she sacked a female member of the cabinet or the staff named Pretty Patel. And she, ha she had to go. And quite rightly, she sacked her, she, and then she, you know, she resigned, but it was a sacking. You know, look, she, she was forced out. And she issued a statement and she apologized. Today, this is what Priti Patel said. I want you to listen to this. And can you detect for me if you hear an apology anywhere in here? Can you, I just want you to tell me. Can you, I mean, I just want to make sure that I'm not the one that's going uh, out of my mind here. But can you, honestly, I would like to know. I really would like to know this. 
if you can find for me any semblance of an apology somewhere, anywhere in this from Pretty Patel, the Home Secretary. Quote, I am sorry that my behavior in the past has upset people. It has never been my intention to cause upset to anyone. I am very grateful for the hard work of thousands of civil servants who helped to deliver the government's agenda. I care deeply about delivering on the commitments we have made to the people of this country and I acknowledge that I am direct and have at times got frustrated. I would like to thank the Prime Minister for his support. The Permanent Secretary and I are working closely together to deliver on the vital job the Home Office has to do for the country. Now, dear listener, did you hear anything in the statement that I just read? from Priti Patel that said that she is apologizing for her behavior. I didn't hear it. What she said in that first sentence was, I am sorry that my behavior in the past has upset people. Now that is not an apology for her behavior. It's an apology that people were upset by her behavior. And too many politicians have done this. They have offered a non-apology. And it only serves to confirm their bad behavior. It certainly confirms to, serves to underline it, doesn't it? And then you've got Boris Johnson, time to form a circle or a square, or a, a perimeter, a moat? Can we put a moat around the, the Pritsta? Can we put a, 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 a wall, the Great Wall of China? Can we put Hadrian, I know this, that Hadrian's Wall well. Can we put Hadrian's Wall around the, uh, the, 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 the home secretary of the Pritsta? You know, this is the kind of toxic garbage, right? And the thing that just gets me to no end is that the conservatives had a long history of this, whether Boris, whether it's Boris Johnson himself doing it, being a bully. Remember last year when he uh, attacked his own fiance in their in her apartment, in her flat? I mean, people have forgotten that already. And this is literally a day or two, within a day or two, right after Mark Field, the conservative MP, was on video frog-marching a female activist out of mansion house by the scruff of her neck I'm going to post a link to that video and it may be distressing for some people and I'm going to put a warning on it you may have seen this video it was from June of last year 2019 right at the time in which Theresa May literally had a few more days left in office and as I alluded to earlier um, and you heard the audio you heard the audio um, 
because I, I, you know, I, well, look, I mean, you didn't hear the audio yet, but you're going to hear it. You're going to hear it uh, in a few moments. This, this is just, I mean, remember that whole thing? If you are one with a reasonably uh, good memory, you will remember, particularly if you are in the UK listening to this, you will remember Mark Field, the Conservative MP who had been in a spot of bother before. I mean, this is not the first time he'd bullied people or bullied women, at least to the best of my knowledge. And if I'm wrong on that, I, I apologize, but I don't think I am. Because he's made statements and comments before that have been misogynistic and... Uh, you know, it's just not becoming. But I guess it's perfectly becoming of, of, of politicians because they think the rules don't apply to them. Whether, I, whether it's the lockdown situation and what I've said about uh, Governor Newsom, and, uh, you know, I, I guess the, they, they don't think the law applies, the rules apply because they're powerful, you see. And I and I think that's really a, um, a a a really dangerous thing when we're in that realm, um, and we've been in that realm for so long. Uh, you know, Mark Field, someone who you know he grabs a woman literally by the back of her neck and frog march, marches her out of Mansion House during uh, a reception, and so, I guess Philip Hammond was the Philip Hammond, the former Chancellor of the Exchequer or the outgoing. Chancellor of the Exchequer was giving a speech at Mansion House in London. Uh, it was a black tie affair. And, and, you know, politicians are sitting there. Dignitaries are sitting there. And people are sitting there. Donors, whatever, whatever it is. And they're all sitting there in the big room, Mansion House. And he, in front of everybody, he grabs a woman who is a activist. By the way, she wasn't even saying anything. She was just, not that it would have warranted this behavior. It certainly wouldn't have. She just walked in. And he grabs her, he jumps up from his chair, pushes her into a pillar, into a stone pillar, pushes her up against it, grabs her by the scarf of her neck, pushes her out the door. I'm going to warn you right now, you might find this audio to be distressing, but I, I do want to play it because this is what we're dealing with. This toxic masculinity and bullying and thuggery and violence against women going on. Going on privately, going on, you know, whether it's privately behind the closed doors of the uh, the flat of Carrie Simons, Boris Johnson's fiance, and people in the neighborhood last June could hear banging and, and, and things smashing and bodies hitting a wall and all kinds of stuff. And then you've got people getting upset in the conservative party about, oh, those people reported it to the Guardian. They're labor people with an agenda. This ain't about the parties, mate. I mean, some of this has happened in the Labour Party too. I've talked about it. This is about human beings and whether or not they have any decency and people in power who have a responsibility to behave better, to be best. <laughs> Where have we heard that phrase before, right? They have a responsibility to, to do that and they're failing miserably. And after you hear this audio, just listen to this. Can you get this patch now? It's a peaceful protest. Uh -huh. 
How about that? Get her out of here. Whatever he said there, you heard his voice. Uh, this is just, you know, again, this is, you know, and he wasn't punished for that. He was suspended. I mean, it, it, yeah, suspended. Uh, I mean, he never got fired. He never got the whip removed for that. Never got fired. He was sacked. He was suspended. And I think what happened was, is that once Boris Johnson um, officially became prime minister um, and um, not not um, when he became prime minister after the leadership contest, but when he became prime minister, when he was actually elected prime minister, he um, removed Mark Field from the responsibilities of a position that he had. And soon after that, there was some kind of report that found that Mark Field had Surprise, surprise, violated the ministerial code. Where have we heard that before? And because Mark Field had in the interim made a statement that he was not going to be standing anymore, he would no longer stand for office as an MP, meaning that he would not run again for his seat in the House of Commons that any report that came out, which one did, finding that there was a breach by field of the administrative, of the ministerial code, um, had no force or effect because, you know, Mark Field was no longer in parliament, was no longer in parliament, was no longer an MP, certainly no longer an MP as far as uh, the Conservative Party was concerned. He, he, he did not seek um, re-election. And how convenient, right? It's like a getaway situation. The getaway car, the getaway car is perched. It's perched. So that Mark Field can just make that quick getaway. He's no longer an MP. I'm looking at his Twitter handle right now as I talk to you. No longer an MP. I mean... and then there's video, there's pictures of him. I mean, this is just... <sighs> you can search. I'm not even going to show this to you. Well, how can I? <laughs> oh, gosh. What I mean to say is... You can go online right now and type in Mark Field... And type in next to that Jeremy Hunt's wife. Jeremy Hunt. Jeremy Hunt's wife. And you should and you probably will see a photograph of Mark Field and that is him engaging in what looks like an assault on the, on, on, I forget her name though. Um, she's an, she's an Asian woman, um, and I and for what I remember from the photograph, I don't have the photograph in front of me. But what I can remember is I think she was wear not that it matters what she was wearing, but the photograph you'll see is I believe she's in a red dress or she's in a blue dress, and he's wearing um, I think a dark suit, something like that. But but anyway, I'm only describing what they're wearing for the purposes of the picture that you will find. 
because this is not a doctored photograph. This is an actual photograph of, of what I consider an assault on a woman. And honest, I think I consider that an assault. I'm not even going to tell you what the photograph is. Uh, um, it's not something that, put it this way, it's not something that is graphic, but it's something that you can look at and go, ooh. And there's nothing like that that's, um, you know, it's hard to describe it without giving it away. There is no bloodshed, put it that way. Um, but I think there's something really unholy about the photograph. And not just the photograph, not the photograph. It's unholy what he's doing. It's just mind-blowing, quite frankly. It's really mind-blowing. And um, this is the guy who now is no longer in, in politics no longer an MP, at least. And it just blows my mind, but doesn't surprise me that the conservatives do not do anything about these bully boys and bully girls. And it's just atrocious that you have this kind of toxic masculinity flying all over the place and nothing, you know, they completely champion this, the conservatives. And labor in the event that it's done there too. It's Yeah, I, I've just looked at the photograph. Oh God. It's <sighs> Yeah, she's wearing a red dress, he's wearing a dark suit. You tell me, you look at that photograph. And tell me what you think of it. You know? I I just... that I, Actually, I am disturbed by it. <laughs> and it takes a lot to disturb me. But... That's a disturbing photograph, mate. That's a disturbing photograph. But you type in Mark Field into your search engine. Into your web browser. Type in Mark Field... Jeremy Hunt's wife. And again, I, I want to name her because this is, you know, it's so possessory, right? When you possessory. Um, and her name is Lucia, Lucia Hunt. Her first name is L-U-C-I-A. So... Oh, dearie me. Really, really problematic stuff. And this is part of the toxic nature of power and the toxic nature of masculinity. Uh, at least in there is masculinity that is not toxic, but the heck, we're not in that. We, you know, that's not the majority, right? The majority reality, the reality is in this world is that toxic ma masculinity is really, um, really harming and destroying us. And destroying the people who perpetuate and perpetrate it. And destroying the people who are uh, attacked by it. And the, the people who do it. Um, Mark Field is a disgrace to any political party. And Priti Patel should be have lost her job. She should have been sacked today. There's no ifs, ands about that. Um, Boris Johnson 
has had his record of the same kinds of things, bullying and, and uh, losing his temper and uh, berating women and, and, and doing it openly. And then when he used to write for the Daily Telegraph, his weekly column or twice weekly column and he would write these racist things and misogynistic things and I mean this guy has a decorated in quotes history of this for 30 years I mean this guy is toxic as they come Dominic Cummings another bully you know boorishly threatening people he actually, actually, he actually had to go a drunken rant at Jeremy Corbyn for God's sake you know, uh, John Burko, the Speaker of the House, the former Speaker of the House of Commons now. And I actually used to like, I liked John Burko. Thought he was most entertaining. But not when he's bullying people. And bullying men, bullying women. And this is about power. This is about toxic masculinity, but it's about power. Really, it's about power. And if you're a man or a woman, if you're whomever you are in this world, if you are a human being in this world and you have power, then this is what people in power do. Not all of them, but some of them. Or maybe half of them. Or 40% of them. Or 20% of them. Or some of them, anyway, do this. And it is not something that we should be just la dying away and forming squares around the pritzed Forming squares around the Pritzker. Yeah, you know, this is the, the Bully Boy Club. And we're going to form a square around the Bully Girl. Because women and men in power do this, right? Some of them do. Some of those in power who are male or female do this. And people in power, regardless of gender, people who... Um, you don't think that there's been people who are of uh, who are transgender in power who may have done this as well. This is about power, folks. You mean look? Remember over here in the United States, Amy Klobuchar. Remember? I mean, people have already forgotten that. Remember that report that came out this year or last about it was right around the beginning of this year, I think, or late last, when Amy Klobuchar, the senator out of Minnesota here. Um, had been chronicled as someone by other, I guess, former staffers or anonymous staffers uh, of to her campaign for president when she ran, uh, being very, very uh, boorish and very uh, um, terse and, and would really lose her temper with people and would um, get them to do these really oppressive types of things, basically like, you know, taking a toothbrush. And I mean, this is not what happened, right? I'm just saying this is it. You know, taking a toothbrush and having um, people scrub her shoes clean. I mean, that's not what happened. But there would be these really onerous things that would be happening. And the people complaining about it were people who were her underlings. Right? Who were her assistants? Who were her, you know, whomever. But she was the top person on the power position poll. For lack of a better word. And they were not. They were the powerless, the subordinates. And they were the ones being uh, treated like garbage. At least that's what they were alleging. And 
I remember saying that Klobuchar came out and said, well, you know, uh, there are times where I've lost my... It sounded just like Preeti Patel, only with more of a smile. Um, again, that's a very sexist thing, right? Because men say, oh, I want you to smile, honey. I want a woman. Why don't you smile? But when I reference it, I'm not talking about it in that way, in that very sexist, derogatory way. What I'm referencing is just a comparison between the two. She did it with a Minnesota nice demeanor. Put it that way. I'll, I'll put it like that because I do not want to um, be characterized as being sexist here um, because that's just, you know, that, that's not the kind of thing I support. And every now and again, I've got to check myself, right? I've got to look at myself and check how I'm speaking, how I'm thinking, how I'm talking. I mean, these are ongoing things that we have to do. Um we have to, these are the kinds of things that make a person better. Um, when you do do that kind of thing, and I do, even now, I, again, I've said this before, I like to think that I'm um, a bit more, uh, you know, a bit sharper about this, shall I say, and have an ear to this a little bit. But no, none of us are perfect. None of us are 100%. All of us have to do our own fine-tuning. I have to do mine, for sure. I have to. Um, I have to be better. Uh, Melania says, Melania Trump, be best. Um, I don't know what that means in a Donald Trump Republican uh, countryside that's going to be uh, evaporating uh, in 61 days' time, um, even though you'll have the remnants and the, the people there and the the disgusting nature of it all permeating, um, you know, be best. What what does that mean to the, the first lady of this country? Oh, God, uh, pains me to say those words. They're saying to you, be best. And by the way, Minnesota nice. Um, Amy Klobuchar, her, her own record about how she dealt with black folk who were being, you know, I mean, attacked by the police, killed by the police, um, brutalized by the police. You want to talk about bully boys? I mean, my gosh. And she presided over uh, a district attorney's office as she was the Hennepin County DA in Minnesota, I should add, in Minneapolis or wherever. In Minnesota, I should add. And all kinds of nonsense happened under her watch, which is one of the big reasons why she's not going to be walking into the White House with Joe Biden in January. And also because black women said, hell no, we can't have this. We want a black woman in here. And Joe Biden listened after sustained pressure. But I do want to say that, look, um, this is in, this is not endemic to one party or another. The reason why I chose the conservatives in the UK is because this is something that happens a lot with, with that party. And it, bullying needs to be eradicated everywhere in every form, which is why I started out with the social media discussion and included myself in it, because I think it would be really hypocritical to talk about these kinds of issues and not examine your own place in them, right? Obviously, when there are issues that you know that is not something that you're a part of, um, maybe peripherally, you may be contributing to it some way. But if you know that you're not part of something, then you're not going to examine yourself in it. But when you know that you've been on Twitter and you've said F this, F that, and you've directed it at someone or other, 
um, you do have to, I, at least I have to examine that. I'm going to just speak about me. Um, and then, then extrapolate that and expand that to people in power who are doing this and they're not getting suspended on Twitter. Their accounts aren't being suspended. They are doing this on and off Twitter in their, in their position of power. And nothing's happening to them in government. Boris Johnson's not lifting a finger at all. Dominic Cummins, it took seven months before Johnson said, oh, I think you should go today. Don't wait until six weeks from now. Go today. And that was sustained pressure. But that was also, I think, in part because Carrie Simons, the same fiancé, that Boris Johnson may have physically attacked in her own apartment, in her own flat, back in June of 2019, was the one who said to her fiancé, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, Boris, Dominic Cummings has got to go. And so does Lee Kane. Once again, it's women who are saving this world. Pretty Patel, I would not include among the savers. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. I'm sorry that my behaviour has upset people, and I've never intentionally um, set out to upset anyone. I work with thousands of brilliant civil servants every single day, and we work together day in, day out to deliver on the agenda of this government. And I'm absolutely sorry for anyone that I have upset. Oh, oh, one more thing. This week was anti-bullying week in the UK. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> it was anti-bullying week in the UK this week. <laughs> Just not at number 10 Downing Street. <laughs>